friend send me this totally weird text not that long ago she'd observed some flirtation on my Facebook page from a male friend of mine and she asked if I was aware that this person was flirting and I said yes and that I'd gone on a few dates with him a long time ago and that was that he's a really sweet guy but not a match and she texted back we're not 25 anymore and I was like is she actually telling me I better marry the first guy who shows interest in me because we're not 25 anymore? Back when the dating scene was an all-you-could-eat buffet? Because I don't know about you, but when I was 25, I didn't think that the dating scene was easy-peasy and that I could have the corn and the green beans and three helpings of fried chicken and go back for mashed potatoes and coleslaw and have two slices of pie for dessert. I don't remember that. I, in fact, married the first guy who liked me and stuck around. Because even at 25, I was convinced that dating was more like a Russian breadline. Not that I've ever been in a Russian breadline, but definitely it was not an all-you-can-eat buffet. To be clear, the all-you-can-eat buffet I have in my mind is the one at Das Dutchman Essen House in Middlebury, Indiana, an ersatz Amish destination eatery, which is not a place I recommend. It's just the last place I ate an abundant all-you-can-eat buffet, and that was back when I lived in Michigan for grad school. That was a huge ass buffet. And I just wanna be clear that at no time in my dating life where there was a man in a white apron carving ham underneath a red heat lamp, except for when I was married and my ex-husband and I ate at the Essen House in Middlebury, Indiana. So you get a coherent narrative now in, in you know, looking back on it. Um, but what happened was I had always been interested in this field. I didn't think it was a thing you could have a job in. And so I worked uh, in the nonprofit field for a decade. And when my own marriage opened up and then later ended, I dove into the local kink scene. I started teaching there a lot and getting questions I didn't have all of the answers for. And so that's when I went back to school to get some new certifications and dive into this work full time. So now, as you said, I am a sex educator, I teach all around, and I have an office where I offer sex and intimacy coaching to couples and individuals, and we tackle these questions and more. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's advice. Um, I am an educator, and I do sometimes provide practical knowledge, but a bigger part of what I do is keep asking people questions until they find their own answers. Oh. That sounds even better than like some weird writer with a microphone just doling out advice. Um, <laughs> the world needs both. Absolutely. If, uh, if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you or schedule an appointment or work with you in any way, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, you can check out my website, stellaharris.net. Uh, you can read there more about what I do. If you're in Portland, there's a scheduling calendar for meeting me in my office. And if you're anywhere else, you can schedule for phone or Skype. I'm also on all of the main social medias, and I am very Googleable. You can Google the hell out of Stella Harris. Cool. Uh, we have one letter this week. One letter and only one letter. Uh, and it's, I'm making an exception for this letter writer. This letter writer is only 30 years old. 
but it sort of deals with uh, feelings that know no age. They're not limited to us uh, slightly older people. So here we go. <laughs> Dear Mo, so I met a guy at an artist residency this June. He and I have been involved ever since. He told me he loves me back in July. I love him too. We've seen each other every month for eight months. I just got back from a month living in Iowa for him. I live in New York City. Further context, I'm 30, have tried very hard and been rejected very consistently and painfully in the world of dating. And this is the first time any man has ever loved me back. I never heard or spoken the words, I love you before. She does not know about us. He says he doesn't know if he can do it to her, telling her, not cheating on her. He also says he can't see himself losing his house and dog, and she'd get both in the split. They're not married, no kids, and both are 40. We've talked seriously and logistically about being together. Before this visit, we both articulated that the point of the month was to help him get to a place to be able to make that leap. I truly thought he would leave her or tell her after such an extreme version of cheating on her, splitting the cost of an apartment in Iowa with me, lying to her so he can see me every day for a month, kenneling their dog without telling her. But he hasn't. I strongly feel she deserves to know the truth about her own life and relationship. I love him, but I'm at the end of my emotional and ethical rope. I left Iowa 10 days ago, and though it's been extremely hard on me, have not been talking to him since. The question is, do I tell her? Is it wrong to tell her? Is there some more right way to ensure that she knows the truth about her own life? I know that classic advice wouldn't even answer this question, would say ditch this guy who isn't making the leap for me and move along. But maybe you can understand that I have no faith I'll meet someone else who I will love, who will love me back and want to be with me. Those three things seem impossible to find in combination. No one before him has checked even two of those boxes, never mind three. Signed, Pauline. Wow, Stella. <laughs> That's a doozy. It's a doozy. I'm going to grab my water before we get started because that made me thirsty. Stella, what are we going to say to Pauline about this very upsetting quandary? Um, well, I would say it sort of ties into what you said at the beginning. I think uh, I'm 38, but close enough to 40. I'm 38 and a half, if you get to have halves you when do. you're in your 30s. If you um, want them, they're all yours. <laughs> um, and so I absolutely object to this notion of settling. Um, I have seen people our age and far older find a great deal of happiness. And so I think regardless of age, I wouldn't tell someone to settle. And certainly for someone at 30, uh, I understand how bleak some of this can feel. And I have been there too. And also, I don't think that kind of settling leads to happiness. And there is so much advice out there about if someone shows you who they are. Uh, Believe them. And if this is how he's treating somebody he lives with, somebody he supposedly loves. His girlfriend of 10 years that he lives with. Yeah, then, then that's the kind of person he is. And you might be the shiny new thing getting the attention now. And it's not even necessarily ingenuine. He may genuinely love you and also this is what his love looks like. This is what his behavior looks like. So even all other things sort of falling into place, would you really be able to trust that 
and another 10 years, he's not going to be pulling this on you. Right. Um, you know, I hope that Pauline, when she listens to this, realizes that that I she's she's got to not think that this is the only man out there for her. Right. Um, and I'm not even going to say because she's young enough at 30 to have plenty of time to find. If she were 80, I would give her the same exact advice. Like, yeah. you really can't hold that idea in your mind and you can't use it as an excuse for subpar treatment, which is what you were receiving in this relationship. Um, I know a lot of my listeners are writers uh, from the literary community, and I'm going to assume that uh, because you said this guy lives in Iowa, that he's a graduate student in a writing program. Um, and I'm going to guess that he's kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm stereotyping writers here, but he's kind of enjoying this current situation of being a proto-Norman Mailer wife and mistress having kind of guy. Um, and then it makes him feel kind of kind of good about himself. Um, and. You know, maybe if that he can get this big deal grad program under his belt and maybe... If this guy's a grad student that can afford to pay half your rent and kennel a dog behind his partner's back, he's not a broke grad student. And I have to wonder if this partner who he claims to want to leave but keeps making the excuse that he doesn't want to leave his house and his dog is funding his mid-century man of letters, wife, and mistress having lifestyle. Because by the looks of it, she's the one with the money. And that's what I, I mean, there's no proof of that, but that's kind of what I'm gathering from reading between the lines of this, of this letter you sent me. Um, and I'm kind of wondering if his unwillingness to leave her has to do with uh, her ability to financially carry him. Did you kind of get that from the... I mean, it could be, and I also just think that sounds like a better excuse. Yeah. You know, if he makes it about the house and the dog, maybe that sounds more justifiable. Um, and it could also just be that he really still likes this person and this life and is just a cheater who wants some excitement on the side. Right. The, the house and the dog just sounds like a total like cop-out. Like They're living in a what's got to be like a rental in a Midwestern college town. Like, Does he really intend to stay in that house forever? Like, And I was thinking, like, hey, if you're going to leave your partner of many years and break her heart and leave her for a younger woman, like the, the kindest thing you could do is let her have the dog, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that just kind of seems like a an excuse that doesn't really hold water to me. Yeah, I mean, I get people not wanting to uproot their lives, but that's kind of already what he's doing. It seems like, I mean, a month away, I don't know how you sell that, but that seems awfully risky. Yeah, like, did you see her walking down the street? Did you, like, walk into their house? Like, I'm just kind of curious, like, if, like, there's some sense of, danger that he's enjoying from having you in his little college town yeah there's i think it feels like there's a lot of stuff going on under the surface for him and as you were right to point out this is a very extreme version of cheating um you know just the opposite end of the spectrum from a dalliance at a conference when you're out of town right um which i think also speaks to who he is as a person, if he can live with that length and depth of deception, I think that brings everything he says, also the things he says to you, completely into question. Yeah, like he's lying to her and to an extent you. Like, 
as long as you're willing to play the role of the mistress waiting around for him to actually leave her, he's going to keep you around as the mistress, you know? And if he's okay with lying to one woman and stringing another along, like, he's not going to change until his hand is forced. And even then, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, you're saying he's the first person who has checked some of these boxes for you. Uh, I think maybe there needs to be more boxes. Yeah. You know, when you're thinking about what you need from a partner, I think some of this honesty and loyalty and trustworthiness, there should probably be some tick boxes for that. Of course. And also, all he's not ticking the three boxes you mentioned. He's, you know, one of them is wants to be with you. He doesn't actually want to be with you except in some far off in the future words not actions land. <laughs> So I think you should take that one off the off the list until, you know, he actually shits or gets off the pot here. <laughs> but even if he did, even if he did leave her, then what do you get? Like, do you, is she, you know, the, your main question is, do I tell her? Um, and I have to wonder if you are fantasizing that you're going to send her a message and she's going to read it and you know, pack up her stuff and leave the dog and exit stage left. And then you're just going to swoop right in and move into that house and be his partner. Like that's not, even if, even if that happened, that's not going to go down in the romantic dreamy way that you're hoping it will, you know? So. Yeah, no, I think that taking an action like that, there's no good outcome for that because if he found out that's what you did, I think that would also completely implode the relationship. You know, it's going to hurt this other person. I mean, I do strongly believe that everyone is responsible for their own relationships. Mm -hmm. And you can draw your own ethical lines and make your own decisions about whether or not you want to participate in cheating. Um, but he's responsible for, for his other relationships. And there's no good outcomes from getting right. involved and talking to her. That, it's not your job to tell her. It's his job. And he's choosing not to tell her. You know? Mm -hmm. um, that's an awful lot of emotional heavy lifting that you would be taking on for an outcome that more likely than not is going to bite you in the ass. Like, that's just not... I mean, you could, you could tell her. You could, you could write her that note confront him about it he could be like i'm sorry like you know she could and then she could leave but like i don't think that your life with him is going to be what you think it will be what's more likely is he'll be mad at you and uh then what you know and she might know i'm thinking about that as we talk about sure. this what if she knows and what if they have a sort of you know don't ask don't tell or she chooses to look the other way because she likes maintaining the lifestyle um, I mean, it could be anything. Right. And if, and if she does know and he's telling you the opposite and, you know, turning it into this huge drama situation, well, what does that say about him? You know, like it's, he's not acting in good faith either way. Um, and I don't I don't think you're going to get what you want in the end. And I, I, I also worry that if you were to tell her and go public with this relationship with him, that he might get retaliatory in a professional way. You know, the literary world is small and gossipy. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if this guy is like a big enough deal in the writing world to like be able to ruin you, but it's something to absolutely think about. Like these things happen more than, often than you think they would. And no, it's not fair, but these things, that would just be an extra layer of loss and worry that I don't think you want or need. So 
you know, the obvious advice here is to just walk away, of course, and that seems unfair to you since you'll be the one that it seems will be bearing the pain and hurt and he'll just, you know, continue his life as usual and that's not fair. Um, so, yeah. Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Yeah, I kind of don't believe in, in fairness. I Yeah, I think this is awful, but I do think that there is a way to spin it. You know, it sounds like you went into this thinking you would never get these things. You would never find somebody who, you know, loves you, who makes you feel this way. So it is, I mean, it's a glass half empty, half full. Like, you are taking this to mean you have this one and so you'll never have that again. But it is just as realistic to assume if there was this one, there will be more. Right. And here, let's let's add, who do you want to be? Here's here's one of the the good things that will come out of if you just decide to walk away from this situation is that when you find that new person who will check all those boxes, do you want to be able to tell him about this affair that you had and about how horrible it was for you? But that it showed you that you really and truly are capable of love and that you really do want an honest and complete relationship with someone? Or do you want to be like the scorned writer who can't show her face in Iowa City ever again because you tried to steal this fake-ass Norman Mailer guy from his partner and everybody knows about it? Like, these are, you know, you can only protect yourself here. And those are, I think, are your, your two choices in who you want to be in this world and how you want to take care of yourself in this world. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's taken a while for me to accept that some of this stuff personally, right. but I do think the choices we make around what we accept affect what kind of situations we end up in mm-hmm. and accepting this behavior from him sets a precedent of what will be acceptable going forward if the relationship does continue. Yeah. So so we're giving the advice you said would be the typical advice, which is, he's no well, good for you. Get out of there. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, she said this a month ago. Maybe that has already happened. Please feel free to send me another note, Pauline, and tell me what you chose or what happened or where all this is going for you. Because, you know, we here at No Love Signs want you want good things for you. Um but yeah, this is, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fantasy world here. And I guess for a long time would wake up in the morning and think, well, crap, no one, another day of no one wanting me and waking up alone and it sucks to be me. And, you know, maybe I had one shot at love and that was my ex-husband and that was it. And, you know, there's no one else, but I choose not to believe that. I choose to consciously reject those self abnegating beliefs that get you nowhere and make you miserable and aren't actually true. Yeah, a lot of that does come down to a choice because there's not enough evidence to know what is actually true. And so to an extent, we do get to choose our mindset around some of this. And that absolutely affects the way in which you move through the world. Stella, I feel like a lot of your your clients would come... You've heard this before, like, dating in Portland sucks or... Why can't I find anyone? Or is it because I'm 47 that this has gotten really hard? Like, what types of responses would you 
give to those questions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do think to an extent it's a numbers game. Mm -hmm. Um, People have done the math for a number of major cities, so narrowing down what you're looking for and and how many people are there then in that pool. How does Portland actually fare on the numbers? Because, I mean, it's a big city. There's, you know... Yeah, we're actually one of the most populous cities and have a statistically high number of singles. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the Oregonian recently got into trouble by stating that Portland was a good place to be single, and they got so much hate mail for that, there was a follow-up piece. Wow. Um, but yeah, just the number of single people alone is not doesn't determine how many of those people pair off, because it also depends what people are looking for. True. But what I tell folks all the time is, while it might seem like a numbers game, you know, you don't need that many people like depending what your lifestyle is you can probably feasibly date you know what one to three people at a time sure so you don't need all of the people you kind of just need the one person who's going to be a good fit so you need to filter Mm -hmm. nobody has got time to to be with all of the people so you want to be checking people off the list and that does take a little bit of time and a little bit of discernment and it absolutely is discouraging. Dating can be hugely discouraging. And so it's important that that not become your sole focus, the sole way that you use your time, remembering all of the other things in your life that are great, whatever your your job and your friends and your passions, not only does focusing on those things sort of help you take care of yourself so that you don't get too discouraged by dating, but it makes you an interesting person to date. You know, it's no fun to have a conversation with somebody who isn't passionate about anything. So doing the things that you love gives you something to talk about. And if you completely hate the the dating app age, um, meeting people who do activities that you enjoy, is, is that also still works. It turns out you can meet people in the wild. So uh, engaging in activities is also a, a really useful way to put yourself out there. Yeah. I weirdly had a, a statistically easier time dating in rural Vermont than I ever had here. It's been kind of a weird thing. And the numbers go the other way, but I think the culture also goes the other way there where people are more focused on like committed relationships than looking for the next best new person because there are way fewer people there and you'd have to drive 45 minutes to get to that next person anyway. And more choice doesn't make you happier. No. I mean, this has been proven again and again. So maybe you are in a rural place, there's five people to pick one, and you pick one and, and move on. Yeah. So having hundreds of people to choose from, that's not necessarily better. You know, back in the olden days when we've talked about sort of the evolution of romance, the number one predictor of, if not love, then at least commitment, is proximity. You know, people would marry people who, who lived on the same block. Mm-hmm. you know, the people you see all the time. And now that is derailed because we have access to people around the world. It is, yeah. I've been sort of kind of long distancely dating someone from my extended social circle in Austin where I lived for 12 years. So, and that's been working out great, but we were proximal at one point in our lives. So, right. yeah. Yeah, and it absolutely can work and can be wonderful. It is a great way, again, if, if you're personal dating pool does seem a little tapped out. It's amazing to be able to to reach outside of that. I mean, I have had some fabulous luck um, meeting a string of Canadians when I'm up Whoa. in Vancouver for conferences. That, that seems to be my jam. Um, 
so yeah, it doesn't have to be people in your backyard. Cool. Stella, lover of Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everyone's got a thing. I, Canadians are very nice. I, I, I dated a man in Montreal when I lived in Vermont, and he was actually American, but it was still in Canada, and he had permanent residency, so he's still Canadian too, so it all worked out. Perfect. I mean, I just tindered my way through Paris, so, you know. Oh my gosh. Take yourself a vacation if it's bleak in your hometown. <laughs> Was that an amazing experience, or? Yeah, I got a lot of good stories out of it, anyway. Oh do, you have, do you have one that you would like to share with my, my listeners? I can, sure. Um, I, so I reset... Um, I sprung for the paid version of Tinder for this so that Mm -hmm. I could change my location in advance. Mm -hmm. I thought I was being very clever to start having the conversations in advance so that I wouldn't be cutting into my museum hours swiping. Um, And the conversations alone I had were so worth it. I'm tempted to just fake vacations so I can talk to people in other (laughs) cities. Um, Really interesting way to experience a different culture. Um, one fun fact that I noticed, uh, as I was getting to safer sex talks with people, because I'm a big safety nerd and that was going to be really important to me. And I had been afraid of what the culture would be around that. And it turns out with socialized medicine, Mm -hmm. everyone's getting tested very regularly because it's free. Um, so if you are planning a Tinder vacation, hit a country with socialized medicine. Good advice. Um, (laughs) And... But I think what is true, what I've heard from other people and what seems to be true is is some of the apps are best for instant gratification. People don't do all that much planning in advance. So some of the people that I'd talked to and been excited about when it came time to it and I was there sort of fell away with one excuse or another or one scheduling challenge or another. And I did end up going on, on two dates. Um, and on my very last night in Paris, I got to have some French sex. Um, and it, it was instant gratification. It was somebody I swiped on when I was uh, recovering in a cafe after having walked up way too many stairs. And we met 30 minutes later, got a glass of wine, went to the Louvre, and I took him back to my little hotel room. And I'm really glad that we did the Safer Sex Talk and all of that by text because face-to-face there was definitely a communication barrier. And he was exclaiming things in French I couldn't understand, but it seems like they were good things. Uh, yeah, and that, that went swimmingly. Fan- so. Fantastic. <laughs> so, Pauline, if, if you learn nothing else from, from me and Stella today, it's that you should, you should go on a Parisian vacation and use Tinder. Highly recommended. And that goes for everyone else as well. <laughs> Get thee to Paris. <laughs> My uh, friend who texted me that text that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Yeah, I love her to death. She absolutely meant, you know, the best for me. I don't take it personally. She's not saying that, you know, I'm, I'm low value on the dating market by any means. Like, that is not what she's saying at all. But, it, so I mean, it sort of sat with me for a couple of days. Like, you know, she's arguing that life in a couple is better and she wants that for me. But also, mm-hmm. like that's not the right answer either. So what, what, what type of advice would you say would be good for people who have well-meaning friends and family in their lives who are pushing them towards that type of settling? Well, I think there's two things there. I don't necessarily think that the assumption is that you're sort of 
low value on the dating market, whatever that means, because I think it actually gets trickier when you have a lot going for you, because mm-hmm. then it is harder for people to meet you there. You know, if you have a great career, you're very creative, you're very smart, any of those things, like that seems to be a little harder sometimes to, to meet people who will, will meet you where you're at in any of those areas. So, That's true. I've had guys I was dating just not actually say that to me that, oh, I can't, mm-hmm. I'm not enjoying dating you because you're a published author and you're really smart and you make me feel bad about myself. But I've kind of felt like that was the takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate that this is a thing, but you see stuff out there all the time that, you know, particularly men don't want to date someone who is smarter than them or more accomplished than them. And I think as we are getting... I mean, certainly in Portland is sort of a happy little gender liberal pocket, but I think overall some of the, the, the gender-based decision-making is, is changing a tiny bit, so hopefully some of that will go away, but we're not quite there yet. Um, but I do think, that you, as you said, the other major assumption there is that being in a couple is better, mm-hmm. and this is something I have run into in my personal life so much over the last few years as I have been, I don't know what, single-ish dating around. Um, especially when I do something like try to plan a vacation. Everything is trying to sell me the romantic couples package. Certainly when I was trying to go to Paris, you know, it was all, oh, we'll put rose petals on your bed. And I'm like, well, that sounds nice, but I don't think I need that. Um, you know, when I was looking to rebottle my, my bathroom, everything was telling me about, you know, bathtubs for two. And yeah, it is a very, very couple-centric society. We assume that being coupled is better And I absolutely don't think it's better. And I do think not just uh, in the States, but, you know, in in a number of countries now, people are staying single a lot longer. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And there have been some great books have been coming out about um, both couple centricism and also the benefits of doing your own thing and being single. Um, Having just taken a vacation alone, I can say, getting to walk through museums at my own pace, getting to choose whatever restaurant I want, like that was pretty great. I didn't wish I had a sweetie with me at all. Yeah, I went to Italy for three weeks in September and October and I felt the same way. I wandered Rome by myself Mm -hmm. and went to museums and Mm -hmm. ate ate at cafes and had a lovely time and yeah. yeah. We should prioritize people doing what makes them happy And I see this a lot, you know, in my work and in my colleagues' work. Because we act like being in a partnership is better than being single, people will also then stay in partnerships that don't make them happy or aren't good for them. And I'm, of course, a little bit biased because I see more of the people who have issues to work on than not. Mm -hmm. And also, I absolutely see people putting, maintaining the relationship over their individual desires and well-being actually in um uh, i recently wrote a book about communication and relationships and um because i'm also a masochist i've been reading everything anybody on the internet has said about it (laughs) and overall the the feedback has been amazing and there was this one almost throwaway line in a review that was overall very very positive and there was a line that said that I appear to have a disposable view of relationships. And so, of course, I've obsessed over that for weeks. And what I think that is sort of speaking to is this idea that I have that 
a relationship is not more important than the people in it. And if a relationship isn't serving you, yeah, you should leave it. That is disposable. Right. I think that there's, <laughs> I, I've written about this. I'm writing a series of essays that goes with uh, some of the episodes of this podcast. And one of the things that I tackle is um, what ha- one of the reasons why I feel like my ex-husband and I split up is that he grew up in a very conservative Catholic household. And I grew up in a very liberal, non-religious household in California. And he grew up in... Wisconsin, and so very, very culturally different. Um, and when he and I split up, I left him. Um, the story on their end, on his family's end, was that I was a horrible, bratty harpy, and how dare I leave their son? Um, the the act of my leaving was made me a terrible person. Whereas the way I grew up, where I saw all the adults yeah. getting divorced in the eighties and nineties, like that. It never ever occurred to me until my ex-husband's people had that response that there was like a moral obligation to stay married regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, I come from a very long line of, of divorce. Um, <laughs> back to my great-grandparents in the 30s wow. uh, in, in Austria. Yeah, so before it was cool, uh, my people were getting divorced. Yeah. Um, and that was actually something that came up around my own divorce, which was absolutely the right thing to do and was very amicable. And also it was my now ex-husband who was the one who finally called it. And I remember being so shocked by that. And the best conversation I had around it, I remember talking to a friend of mine and what I kept saying was that he was being so selfish. And her response to me was great. She's like, yeah, he should be selfish. Um, And I really had to sit with that because, yeah, we should all be selfish. Yeah. Because I I think I was mad because I wasn't happy either, but I was going to stay anyway. I was going to stay and be unhappy because that's what I thought I had signed up for. You know, I signed the contract. I did the thing. And now I'm just in it forever. And... I, yeah, I think I was really sort of shocked to find out that wasn't true and you can just call it Yeah, you're not happy. I like to think I did my ex-husband a favor by leaving him. He's remarried now and I guess he's perfectly happy or better off with her and, you know, that's great. We should all be happy for our trying to maintain our own happiness. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, absolutely. And just because two people aren't a good fit doesn't mean there's something wrong with those people. I mean, that speaks to what we talked about a little bit about sort of who's available on the dating market. But yeah, Mm -hmm. people do shift in and out and relationships end. And is it statistically slightly fewer? Maybe. Um, I teach a class called Modern Dating. And in that class, it the people who attend do skew a little bit older. And it's people who have been in long-term relationships and haven't dated since the apps existed, or maybe haven't dated since having safer sex talks was a thing, um, and aren't used to making safe calls or negotiating, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do now, because people did marry the person up the street and didn't think about a lot of this. Yeah. Um, so I see regularly all of the people sort of back on the dating market mm-hmm. and, and figuring these things out. So absolutely, that's out there. Yeah. So... We will all 
go forth and love some more and be happy. Stella Harris, you were awesome. Thank you so much <laughs> for being on No Love Signs. Thank you so much for having me. Pick up a copy of Tongue Tied, listener. I'm ordering you. Um, <laughs> this has been No Love Signs. I'm Mo Davio, your host. Thank you for listening. Our theme song was written and produced and recorded by Phila Jarapu, who did a great job. Uh, thank you for listening. <laughs>